As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, 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 the guy with the dead bod gets exposed in front of the entire Brooklyn Nets crowd. Jared Dudley, you will watch what you say. And Ben Simmons reigns supreme at this moment as the Sixers roll past the Brooklyn Nets. And they couldn't have done it without defense and some great half-court offense, Jared Dudley. This one is for you. Welcome to the Sixers Talk Podcast. Paul Hudrick and Danny Pommels. Level-headed Paul here, and uh, Paul, you, you couldn't help but enjoy what you saw last night, even despite Joel Embiid not playing. Absolutely, and then not only that, I have to say, first and foremost, Mark Zumoff, that man is a national treasure. My goodness. Please. How easily. beautiful was that to sneak that in there? Oh, my Temple goodness. Temple mate. Oh, my yep. goodness, that guy. He is an absolute legend and couldn't be a nicer guy. Um, I concur. But, oh, man, you had to love what you saw out of this team last night with no Joel Embiid, and you finally saw, and I, so I'll say this, I lukewarmly predicted Tobias Harris would have a big game on this podcast, though I did put in writing in our predictions, and uh, we have been putting predictions up before every game on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com and the My Teams app, and I did put in my game three predictions, I said that this would be the game that Tobias Harris would break out of his slump, and I feel my pretty gosh. good about that prediction. Uh, uh, Tobias Harris hotter than a bowl of wasabi 11 of 19 6 of 6 from 3 Paul Hunter 16 rebounds 29 points a plus 23 and I put this out on Twitter and you know sarcasm is usually the the next order of business whenever you tweet something out but yeah uh, they would be losing if the 76ers didn't have Tobias Harris, but I think they would have been demoralized in that second quarter with the way Karis LeVert had it going on. Um, if Tobias wasn't on his game, and they had some great rally-killing buckets there uh, against them, and Boban had a couple, Ben Simmons had a couple, but Tobias was really the story of that second quarter coming on, and then J.J. Redick was right behind him. Right, and what killed them, like, I, you know, I, I can't blame the guy too much because, you know, I mean, he is what he is, and he hasn't played. Greg Monroe getting the start for Embiid. When Greg Monroe was in there, things kind of – they got ugly at times defensively. It's funny. Greg Monroe with the rare uh, start and garbage minutes in the same game. <laughs> like, you don't see that equation quite as much. But uh, Greg Monroe pulled it off last night. And uh, I put a you know a loose poll out there on Twitter. I got about uh, 100, 200 responses of people just saying that they would rather have Boban in the starting lineup. But I'm not sure – when Embiid is out, I feel like Boban's energy off the bench, and man, you cannot understand. No, I apologize to him. Uh, I think it was two podcasts ago because you did. I didn't after game think, one, you did. You owned up. I didn't. I didn't think he would be as viable here in the postseason, but 
you look at them in a game-by-game basis, 15 minutes, 13 points. 18 minutes, 16 points. You look at last night, 14 points in 18 minutes, and I, I don't know if this was alarming to you or stood out to you at all, Paul, but the bench gave them nothing outside of some good defense at moments, particularly James Ennis and had a couple of rally-killing buckets in there. But the bench as a total gave them 20 points. No, the bench, outside of Boban, the bench was not great last night. The Boban um, was 14 of those 20 points. Right. And Ennis had two, like, back-breaking turnovers at, like, really bad points of the game where, like, it was just uh, it was just silly, unfortunate. He, he, he did cause a few turnovers, though. It had a couple good offensive rebounds. So I, I look at him as a wash. Now, I mean, him and, him and Mike, so with him and Mike Scott, you know, even when they're not hitting, they, they do have value because because of their defensive versatility. You saw right. it happen. Right, multiple positions, absolutely. Right. When, when Boban fouled out, he threw Mike, uh, Brett Brown threw Mike Scott in at the five. That shows you his versatility, what he's able to do. And that also helped combat the move of Kenny Atkinson going to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson a little earlier. So, I, you know, like you mentioned with Ennis, it's the same with Scott. When when they're not hitting, they, they do bring something on the defensive end. So it's not like they're a complete zero when they don't score. Man, what a performance by the 76ers. But we can't really delve too far deep into what this game was until we talk about Joel Embiid missing it. And I'm really trying to sift through what exactly the Sixers are doing with Embiid and, and what exactly his injury is. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy I kind of – gather all my information and I kind of start doing math. Like I start adding this, maybe subtracting that, dividing this by that, multiplying. Maybe that's not always the best way to go about it, but I'm just thinking of the way Sixers have treated injuries in the past. You could go to Noel, to Embiid, to Fultz, to Zaire Smith, to, to Simmons. And I know they are so overly cautious. And case in point, you look at a guy like Karis Levert, who dislocated his ankle in November but he's out here right pouring 26 points in for the Nets here off the bench and and really almost you know taking the Sixers hard a bit in that second quarter but not not that all injuries are the same but I just from a guy who can bounce back from something like that where the Sixers have like soft tissue injuries that guys don't seem to come back from as quickly but I'm just trying to figure out the severity of Embiid's issue. So we know the tendonitis. We know the left knee soreness. We know we sat out 14 of the last 24 games in a regular season. We know they called it load management. And here we are in the postseason. And some of the sentiment going into the postseason was that possibly the Sixers would try to sit Embiid in this series against the Nets to prepare him for the longer haul of, possibly the second round, second round in the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe the NBA Championship Series. So when, when I look at the fact that he's on the bench and he did come out and warm up, I was I, I was still optimistic that it wasn't as severe as I, some may think or it could possibly be. But then Greg Monroe, after the game, comes out and says something that kind of turns everything on his ear. Right, Paul? Yeah, after the game, Greg Monroe said that at shoot-around, he was told – that he was probably going to start. So wow. I don't know that how, early because they, they shot around at 10 a.m. Because Jimmy Butler was in the gym at 8 a.m. Yes, he was. <laughs> Some shots up. So they shot around at 10. But at shoot around at 10, you know, this yeah. is an eight o'clock game. So this is, you know, 10 hours before tip off. And right. they're talking to Greg Monroe about possibly being out there. So to me, that lends more that this was I, I don't want to. I don't want to speculate like too heavy on this, but this leans towards like this seems like it was maybe planned. 
You know what I mean? Like the fact that they decided that early in the day, like, hey, yeah, hey, Greg, you're you're probably going to start tonight. That almost, but they did have two ga- days in between games, so I, I know. But maybe how, that was how, maybe how, that I'm, was their help thought. me process maybe. it. Paul. I'm trying to understand how I should feel. Should I be process? <laughs> should uh, I be upset? As far as man, no, not necessarily upset, but disappointed, distraught. Like man, and Bede's knee is worse than I they're letting worried. on. I think worried or, is a fair word to use. I would be okay. worried. Yeah, absolutely, okay. it's fair to worry. The guys missed. The guys missed the game. Um, you know, it, it, so the knee is worse than it was in game two. It, it, can, I, can I draw that comparison? That's what you would. That's what you would have. To I'm not trying that. to jump no, to conclusions. No, I'm and just it's, trying it's, to draw it's not even, lines. Yeah, you're you're not even really jumping to like it's not like that big of a conclusion to jump to. I mean, the guy played in game two and looked pretty damn good, and then he doesn't play game three. That leads me to believe that he's not. He didn't get any better. And but it was weird too because it also I don't know if you heard what Joel said before the game because he he was available to reporters. Well, right? he said the knee was getting better. Yeah, exactly, he said it was getting better. <laughs> so that's why to me this is like all right. There's I don't know. It's it, it's odd. I mean I mean obviously they went out and they proved that they can't like the, you know I don't want to say they don't need to beat because that's the dumbest thing ever anyone could say. But like against this Nets team, they think they could beat this Nets team without Embiid. They they sure looked like they could last night. They did it in pretty convincing fashion in a wire to wire win pretty much. But yeah, I mean, I, it's it's definitely it's definitely okay to worry, in my opinion. Like, it, 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 if anyone's worried, like you're, like it's it's okay. Like you should feel that way. But it also looks like maybe maybe this was planned a little bit. He plays less than twenty five minutes. Uh, I think it was twenty three and twenty one respectively in those games one and two. So he his minutes were down. They he hadn't played all of. You know, uh, a lot of those games leading toward the end of the postseason, two days off between games, and he still doesn't play. That That's the thing where it kind of gives me pause. So I guess the next step we can go, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's, it's actually a logical step, but it is a step, is can we speculate that the Sixers won't have as much of a chance to win the East because Embiid's not fully healthy and – He's been so limited here in, in the amount of time he could have on the court. Do, do we have – are the Sixers' future hopes of, of, of going deeper into this postseason in jeopardy because Embiid's health is in question? If if it's what we're talking about, if it's the idea that the knee is worse than it was in game two, then absolutely. Like, that's a huge concern. If, it's, if the knee is worse than it was in game two, so much so that he could not play – if then, I had to make you make you decide on whether or not the Sixers are being overly cautious, or if there's a real long term issue that might need to be addressed here, where where would you go on on that? I would probably lean towards the cautious side, only because I know they've done scans on it, and like all the scans have come back clean. Like he has nothing structurally wrong with his knee, so it is just tendonitis, and like tendonitis is not like this like black. I mean, I, I don't want to get too doctory on you here, but like it's not like a black and white thing. Like it, it's. There's, it's different for yeah, everybody, and it's and it's yeah. severity levels. And when you're seven foot two, pushing three hundred, you know, two hundred eighty pounds, whatever he is, like that's, it's going to be different than you know than than someone like a TJ McConnell having a, a, a knee tendonitis at six foot two. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, it, it's going to vary from guy to guy, and it's just it's hard for us to really know because it's such, like tendonitis is kind of a vague term. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not something we can identify and say, oh, like oh, he's got. A meniscus or oh he's got an ACL like it's not like that it's it, it, it's there's a lot of gray area here so I, I do think it's a lot of pain management type stuff 
but it's not great that that the pain has caused him to miss a game in the playoffs. So here we are, uh, game three of the first round. How many more games, if you had to predict, will a Joel Embiid miss the rest of the postseason? And we'll set the over-under at about one and a half. More or less than one and a half games? I'm going to take the under because I think... Wow, I really thought you were going to go over. Because now he's going to miss a game because I am dead set he's going to miss a game. Like, I think he misses another game maybe in this series. Like, if they, if he plays game four and they win, does he play game five when they're up three to one? I don't know. Um, I don't know if they do that or not. But if they have, if they want any chance in the second round to beat Toronto, to beat whoever, it's, they need Joel Embiid, excuse me, they need Joel Embiid and they need Joel Embiid to be on the floor being himself. I worry, too, just with all this rest, I worry about Rust and I worry about his fitness. Because, man, like having all this time off, like it's not necessarily great. And like tendonitis, like it, it, Well, we saw him in game one. Exactly. So like that's that's my biggest concern. His basketball conditioning wasn't there and he settled for threes. He shot five of them, didn't shoot a daggone three in game two. And the Sixers won because he was in the paint more. But if I had to guess, I would say I would take the over because if they beat the Nets in game three – and, you know, I, you, you can look at the numbers. I mean, they had like a 17-2 to run in that first quarter. Defense and the shooting was remarkable. They held the Nets almost a five-minute scoreless drought. They shot like 37.5% in, in the first quarter. Sixers are a great first-quarter team. And if they could put the defense to that, why not trot these same guys out there again and try it one more time? And then maybe you could sit and be – for the next game as well, you know, have have games four and five where he sits, and suddenly this is a five game series. You're playing You're a dangerous of, game, though. With that. It is, it, it is a dangerous game, but I don't know how bad the knee is, so I, I gotta yeah. err on the side of caution. I gotta try to figure out what the right formula is to get the rest on the knee. If that's what, if that's all it takes, is to make him feel better, is get the rest on the knee. But and, then that's also that's another. So that's if he doesn't play game four, that's a week off. That's mm-hmm. a flat-out week off because he hasn't played that, since Monday. Right, and he had that eight-day stretch where he missed but then showed up and went triple-double on him. So, right, you know. and it's, that's, I guess that's the thing. Well, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know what you're getting with all that rest. Like, you don't know if, you're get, if it's actually going to help him or if it's going to look like game one where he goes 5-15 of 15 and just starts lodging threes. I mean, I guess that's – it's a dangerous game, man. Uh, it's, well, the, the, the next inference you can make off of that is – you look at how remarkable Ben Simmons played without Embiid in there. 38 minutes, 11 of 13 from the floor, 31 points, you know, the nine assists to four rebounds. But excuse me, Mr. Simmons, 11 of 13 from, <laughs> excuse me, nine of 11 from the free throw line. I'll take that in spades each and every I'll tell outing. You. And they but, were right there, too. Like, he was he was banging them last night. Like, they were no doubters. Yeah, they were no doubters. The confidence was through the roof. And you just really see him ign- getting ignited from the defensive end and that translating to the offensive end. But there's so much more room and opportunity out there for Simmons when Embiid isn't on the floor, particularly in the low post. Um, I know you are a big fan of that snug that they run with Embiid and Simmons down low. But is this team... You know, you go back to that Miami series last year when Embiid missed the entire series. 
Here is Embiid last night missing the game and the Sixers playing well and Simmons, the offense is so much more opened up for him, so much more opportunity. Is this team better at times with Embiid not on the floor? Does Simmons benefit more from that? It's hard for me to say that. So I think, first of all, we have to look at it. We can only look at it from an offensive perspective because defensively, without Joel Embiid, they are a worse team. Without a doubt, no matter who else. Because the rim, rim, no one's guarding the rim exactly. to the degree like, that Joel can. Right. Exactly. So, like, defensively, unequivocally, they're better with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both playing together, unequivocally. Offensively, I mean, I think there is something there to that sentiment. Uh, since they've drafted them, I mean, that's been a concern. You know, both guys do their best in the paint and when they're being aggressive. I would say the caveat is this. Look at game two. They both got theirs in game two. Did they not? I mean, they both did. They both played very in well way, in game two. In a way, uh, in a way they both double. did. They both played really well. They both had great games. If if they had to play all four quarters, the numbers would be even better. you got to think about that. Mm-hmm. Those numbers they put up were what? They were through three quarters in like two minutes. So, like, right. it, it stretched out. Like, you know, they both would have had 20-point games. They, they, you know, they both yeah, would have had their numbers. Simmons plays 30 minutes and B plays 21 in game two. Exactly. So, I mean, if you stretch that out, they, they both could have done it. So, it's not – I think there is room for both of them to operate. Now, the uh, the onus is on Brett Brown. He's got to figure it out. He's got to do mm, stuff. He's got to wow. be creative. And, and here gotta... we are. And Everything's that's, back that's... at Brett Brown's feet. But it's true, though. I mean, that, that's, where, that's where it comes down to. I think they're both talented enough, gifted enough. Their skills are varied enough that I think you can make it work. But it's not... It's not a perfect fit by any stretch, but there's been guys in the history of the NBA that haven't been perfect fits that have made it work. So, I mean, it's this isn't exclusive to the Sixers. I think it, it does settle at Brett Brown's feet a bit and how he uses the team. And, man, you give him so much credit for the way they – you give him so much credit for the way they p- played last night Absolutely. because the defense was at a premium. Um, the, the, the way the players responded with Embiid being out, uh, you know, it was like they didn't skip a beat, obviously – but because of the way that they controlled the game after, you know, the Nets kind of came out, it was probably like seven to two, nine to four, but you know, here come the Sixers hitting buckets. And I mentioned, you know, that long 17 to two run they had in the first quarter. Uh, they held the Nets about five minutes without scoring, but I think that's what I love so much about the postseason, Paul, is that livelihoods are at stake. The, the, the stakes are ratcheted up so far, you know, uh, you're looking at teams who are, you know, it's, it's sink or swim. And and I think that, you know, everything matters that much more. And when I mentioned livelihoods are a safe, I, I'm looking directly at Brett Brown. I'm looking at the fact that he has to push this team to the next level and his coaching prowess has to come through in ways that we maybe have questioned in the past. But can you – Measure Brett Brown's success. Well, what this team does properly without having Embiid out there, he's not having his full, you know, repertoire available to him of who he can call on, and you know, the dribble handoffs aren't quite the same. Although I do like the way they do it with Ben Simmons and JJ, or you that know, was that was killing them last night that yeah killed I mean, the, nets. the nets look like they had the nets, nets look like they never saw it before last night and you know what? i just don't think they quite could keep up with jj on on because on, they're already trying to stop simmons from going to rim and here's jj coming behind them 
filling in that little space and shooting, you know, uh, from outside. So I don't even think they were prepared for that wrinkle um, and, and credit Brett Brown for that once again. But can we judge Brett Brown as far as whether we want to keep him as a coach if he doesn't have been, excuse me, Joel Embiid at his full disposal? So here's how I look at it. And I know there are a lot of Brett Brown haters, and I, I get all that. But if you're a Brett Brown hater, I want you to look at it like this. If Giannis wasn't playing for the Bucks, would we be holding Mike Budenholzer accountable for what the Bucks do after that? But do the Bucks have a Ben Simmons? They don't have a guy yeah, who but, is, is like but the one point, A. It's still the best. It's still, though, it's the best. You're taking away one of the top five players in the entire league, and you're just mm-hmm. taking them off the team. That's huge. Like, you can't mm-hmm. dismiss that. And mm-hmm. Again, like any team, you look at, am I going to judge Nick Nurse if Kawhi Leonard doesn't play? Like, you, 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 even at the Warriors, am I going to judge Steve Kerr if Kevin Durant doesn't play? Like, it's fair to point stuff like that out. Like, it's it's not when, it, when, it, when, it, when you're missing a player of that caliber who is that great and means so much to this team, especially, as we mentioned, on the defensive end of the floor, where you can see when, when the Sixers are right defensively, they are a really tough team to score against. When you don't have the main cog of that, it's really hard to judge this team as a whole. You took the under on how many games and B would miss. I did. If he, I think he'll miss more than one and a half. Okay. If he misses more than the one and a half, you're content with bringing Brett Brown back next year if they lose in the second round and it doesn't go seven games. It depends on the. It, it depends on how the series. It's goes. not black and white. But I'm no, just it's to not, an and that's why it's like you know me. Thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking all the levels here. I'm thinking of all the layers that could possibly be going on. <laughs> Level headed Paul, ladies and gentlemen, at his finest. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm thinking of all the layers here. But yeah, I mean, on the surface, if if Joel Embiid misses two games in the second round and they lose in the second round, I have a hard time pinning any of that on Brett Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you? I mean. Especially if the other teams are full strength, like if you're playing the Bucks and they got Malcolm Brogdon back and Giannis is playing, Giannis is being right. Giannis, and they have Miritich back. Like, how am I gonna? Or you know, again with the Raptors, if Kawhi Leonard's fully healthy and doing Kawhi things, how am I gonna fully judge Brett Brown off that? I can't. Yeah, because this bench can't have a performance like they did last and night if the you're going to hang when, with right. those teams. When you take Joel Embiid out of the equation, not only are you taking away one of the team's best players, you're flat out taking away a player, and they don't have enough depth to overcome that. Sixers uh, got a lot of uh, firepower from Ben Simmons, from Tobias Harris, but J.J. Redick. Oof. You know, it, we... <laughs> to, <laughs> Kenny Atkinson joked uh, when they were talking to him at one point, uh, I think it was at halftime, but he joked that he was thinking about running a box and one <laughs> on J.J. Redick because of how hot he got, uh, five of nine from three. But it was really the combination of him and Tobias. Um, he probably would have been better off running the, the box and one on Tobias. But <laughs> J.J., you know this is his home away from home. Uh, he, he travels back and forth from Brooklyn to Philly because his family's situated in Brooklyn. I know it felt tremendous for him to come back there and show up, show up and show out against this Brooklyn Nets team. With J.J. is hot and Tobias is going, it doesn't matter what's happening with this bench because <laughs> the, between the two of them, I mean, you look at the numbers and they make you know 18 shots between them. And 
of those 18 shots, there were 11 three-pointers. Like, the, the Sixers shoot 40% from three after one game where they go three for 25. And, and, and this is a team like the Nets who they're trying to hang with who, you know, puts it up at an amazing clip, you know, 36 threes a game. You can't discount the uh, contribution from these guys at the three-point line because the game is the three-point line in so many ways. It, it keeps teams close. It can it can blow the game wide open. But Reddick's performance last night does can't go unmentioned, particularly with the way he played when they needed buckets and needed somebody to score consistently. No, absolutely. And this is so. I have this great Tobias Harris stat. This is from. Um... This is from Josh Rager, who obviously uh, works for us for the uh, our Sixers coverage from uh, Per Elias Sportsboro, right? Tobias Harris, 29 points, 6 made threes, 16 rebounds. He's the first player to reach all three of those minimums in a playoff game since the three-point shot was adopted by the NBA. My God. That's insane. That is insane, and particularly when they needed the rebounding because MD was he out. He had he, a couple of tough rebounds too in the fourth quarter. A couple mm-hmm. of like what they what they would call man's rebounds. He had a couple of those in the fourth quarter. It was it was really impressive to see. But it's funny you talked about what, what Atkinson said with, with with the Reddick stuff, and I think that goes back to more what I've been trying to tell you. When you remember when you were all panicking? Oh yeah, maybe we bring JJ Reddick off the bench. Remember that, Danny? Remember you did that. Yeah, I that. do remember that, but yes. what I was trying to tell you at that time is what he does for their offense, even when he's not hitting and how valuable that is, Ben Simmons doesn't score 31 points last night if J.J. Redick isn't the threat that he is. Because of all that dribble handoff stuff, because of them playing, sagging off so far off Ben Simmons, and then that dribble handoff stuff is so deadly effective because a guy can't get out on J.J. So then they're overplaying it. And so then Simmons has stuff at the rim. Like it's what I he, think it's just that his when, effect, what he does offensively, even when he is not hitting, means so much to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I think it's I I as much as he is a liability on the defensive end. And that's I, exactly I what say, I was going to say. I'll, I'll say that yeah. a million times over. He really is. Although he was actually pretty solid last night on Joe Harris. I thought he he um, was solid because yeah. that's the matchup for him. It is the um, perfect. And, matchup. Joe, and Joe had an off shooting night. I mean, the dude shoots almost forty eight percent from three in the regular season. Yeah, but he did him well too. I think it just goes from bad to worse is what it is for me. But because you, when he's not hitting offensively, then he's a liability defensively, and you're not getting anything from him um, that you can use at a premium. But when JJ starts barking, bro, when yep. he starts barking and throwing up the three fingers and whatnot. It's, you can forget about it. It just reminds me of, of the Reddick Duke days mm. and how he was so, you know, hateable, but you just kind of respect his game. Right. And he, he just, uh, you know, showed up last night in a way that, you know, the, the team really needed him, particularly with, with Embiid out. And I, I'm looking at, you know, the game as a whole, and I'm trying to, you know, you know, winnow it down to moments and, and things like that. And when when Karis LeVert is going nuts in that second quarter, did you feel like there was a tide coming that the Sixers weren't going to be able to stave off? Did, did, did you ever have that that feeling that, man, this, this dude's about to get hot and put this game out of reach? Did you ever feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, feel, yeah. I feel that way because they have three guys that, that make me feel that way. They have, they, mm-hmm. you know, with, with D'Angelo, with Spencer Dinwiddie, and with LeVert, I – all three of those guys at any point. That was what I said from the onset of the series. Like I thought the game that the Sixers would lose would be one game 
where one of those three guys just went nuts and you just couldn't stop them. Like, one of them was just – because sometimes dudes just get hot. They score 40 mm-hmm. points, there's nothing you could do. You throw your hands up, you play great defense, guy hits shots, you tip your cap. I thought if they were going to lose a game, that's how they would lose it. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. When Levert was starting to get hot, I felt like, oh, boy. And then again in the fourth quarter, when D'Angelo Russell started cooking a little bit, I was like, oh, sure. boy. Because it just looked like, oh, no, he's going to have one of these. I mean, we saw what he did that one game against the Clippers. What did he have, like 25 in the fourth quarter that one game? And that comeback, and he hit the game-winning shot. I mean, he's these guys are capable scorers. That's why it's To me, that's why it's so impressive what the Sixers have done to these guys so far. Spencer Dinwiddie was a guy who destroyed them this season. He has been pretty quiet. And and Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy I really like, too. I think he would have, before he signed his extension, he's a guy I thought would have looked really good here. But he's well, quiet, the Sixers man. got him paid. The Sixers yeah, did get sure him paid did. because of the way ways he performed against them. Um, but five and thirteen I'm, last night. He just hasn't. He hasn't really been a difference maker in the series so far. And he's been. He was barking with the refs a little bit last oh, night. Sure I feel like he was getting all the calls that he wanted. But Christmas Day has come again for the 76ers. Sixers. Uh, ben Simmons silences all the critics. Uh, the half court game was remarkable. He had dunks. He had rally-killing buckets. He had beautiful passes that sometimes guys didn't finish. I mean, I don't know what it is about Simmons and, you know, rising to the occasion when his name is in the paper or on, uh, you know, utility poles around the Brooklyn area. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what it is about that, but uh, it, it, it was a be- beautiful juxtaposition after the game where before the game, you know, the the the, the poster said, you know, where has Ben Simmons' jump shot missing and call Kendall Jenner and things like that. Oh. But then after the game is, can we find someone to stop this guy? Yo, and that's uh, credit to our – I have to give a shout-out to our social team for uh, for to Josh Ellis and Aaron Dunn for getting that graphic up that we put up last night. I don't know if you saw that. that yes, was, I did. Oh, my God, they nailed it with that thing. It was they're, so they're, so, they're so snarky. I um, love it, yeah. And, uh, you know, on their game, I was looking at the Brooklyn Nets uh, posted, you know, a final score to Twitter. And the first response after the final score was a a dad and his kids and Ben Simmons face was on the dad. and All the kids (laughs) were the Brooklyn Nets players. I did see that. So, um, hey, bro, you you catch the vapor sometimes. You come at the king, you best not miss, as they say. Did you see... Um, the reaction to Ben Simmons when Jared Dudley airballed that three. Oh man, that draws oh, crazy. so good. Uh, <laughs> it could have been better. No, it been, I, th- I think he tried to redeem himself a little while later in transition and brick the th- yep. three as well. He almost had a zero 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 line. He had one rebound though, so he almost had a zero triple double, but he had the one rebound. So unfortunately, couldn't get there. Hey, w- watch what you say. Watch what you That's say, what I, dude. Uh, this guy poked the bear, man. What are you doing? Like, he did, and, and you let, 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 realize who you are. You know, all due respect too. for your longevity in the league, Jared Dudley, but know your limitations and, and who you're talking about. Uh, shaped like my, sh- shaped like my fourth grade teacher <laughs> uh, is Jared Dudley. But while while things are going well for the 76ers now, bouncing back as far as winning the game, of course, the, everyone's worried about Joel Embiid. You look at the national NBA playoff TV ratings. Um. 11 of the 13 playoff windows were down double digits. Now, you know, I don't know if that's the LeBron factor or, you know, you know, last weekend on Saturday and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tiger Woods was taking a lot of the, 
you know, eyeballs away from the NBA. Do you make anything of that? What, are, 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 is there a, a, something missing in the NBA this postseason that wasn't there last year? I, I don't I don't see what the huge difference is. You know, the LeBron factor or the anticipation of LeBron and the Warriors meeting up again isn't there. Do, do you put any stock in that as, as far as it being down so far? Uh, this early in the in the game, I mean, I think the LeBron factor is definitely real. I mean, you know what I mean. The guy is so because even people like there's people who love him, there's people who love to hate him. So I mean, that's people either want to watch him win or they want to watch him lose. So I think there's definitely something to that. I do also think there's just something to the fact that at every year the first round of the playoffs means less and less in the NBA. Like, let's keep that real. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not, if it's not your team. You know, obviously Sixers fans are going to be watching the Sixers. That's just natural. Like, that's they want to watch their team. But, like, how much national – like, this Dudley-Simmons thing is probably the only thing that's created buzz for this series. Uh, and then also, like, Embiid. Like, so there's some national intrigue of that from that. But, like, look at, like – with all due respect, like, what is – like, Raptors magic? What is – does that do anything for you, Danny? Like, watching the Raptors magic? It doesn't. People are missing NBA some good basketball, fan, though. And that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, as an NBA fan, I watch though. it as in, just because I love basketball and I love the NBA. But if I am not – a diehard NBA fan, I'm not going out of my way to watch to watch Toronto Orlando play a, a playoff series. It's just, I mean, I, I watch it because I love, like I said, I love the game of basketball. I want to see Kawhi Leonard. I, I want to see you know great players play great. But it's you know, when you, and then also too, like you, obviously the Clippers had that insane comeback the other night. But you knew like, and then now like, you know the Warriors turned around and just stomped them last night. So it's just stuff Seriously. like that. Like you just. Like, there's no one in the world that thinks the Warriors are possibly going to lose to the Clippers. Like, you know what I mean? No, like it's a four. Like they're going to win. The Warriors are going to win the series. So I think it's I think it's as as we get more as we get farther along in this, the first round just matters less and less. I guess we uh, as far as the Sixers get in the national eyeballs, I, I think we need to thank Chris Sheridan a bit for <laughs> <laughs> stirring things up. I, did, I never thought I would say that, but. Um, our, one of our producers at NBC Sports Philly, Mike Mulhern, had, had an excellent tweet last night that this game will forever be known as the Chris Sheridan game. <laughs> so you look at what he helped stir up. So I guess we owe him some thanks because everyone was talking about uh, the 76ers and what they could and couldn't do and, you know, the all the rumors and innuendo that he put out there in that story. But uh, overall, I look at the ratings and I'm thinking, eh, like uh, – the NBA, you know, might have some struggles here in the early rounds, but once it gets down to the semifinals and the finals, I think those ratings will will bounce back a bit. No, I agree. Um, I agree. I think it's just I think it's just first round. Just, yeah, and a it, little, it, I think the LeBron factor is real, though. It is. It is real. But there are many strong personalities, uh, people who really move the needle with Giannis and. You know, the Warriors who, who will probably be fighting for the title that I think will, the interest will continue to grow as the postseason goes on. But uh, we think about game four because this is also not only a synopsis of what happened in game three, but we're looking ahead to game four. It will be in Brooklyn. Uh, will be, be a day game. Paul will be there and we'll, we'll have to be recording this podcast uh, remotely. But um Game four, I'm looking for a lot of the same performance from the 76ers with Embiid out there or not. I feel like if, if, it's don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like I, I, I would try Greg Monroe back out there. If Embiid's not playing, I would bring Boban off the bench. I'm really 
remarkably impressed by his efficiency. And I can't say that enough. Almost so that, you know, big fella going eight for eight from the free throw line. You know, I, I can't overlook his contribution. He's been their most consistent player through three games. Think about well, that. Well, I, I, I am. I am thinking about <laughs> it. And I, I'm, I'm thinking that I might want to have him on his team for maybe another year. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking I might want to have him on another year. But are, are you tweaking anything for game four? Are, are you leaving well enough alone? Because to me, I feel like everything's copacetic. So, yeah, if Embiid is out, no, I wouldn't mess with anything. I think that's the main reason Monroe started last night. It wasn't a slight to Boban. It was Boban's been really good in that role. So Brett didn't want to mess with it. I totally understand that. And yeah, you won. You won pretty pretty handedly. I I would yeah. Like, well, I'm I just agree with you. I'm okay, not playing and being more than twenty minutes regardless. I'm doing the five minute chunks like Brett talked about yeah, in the post game. You got to feel the game two. out. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's yeah. You go at the five minute clumps, and then if you really need them down the stretch, you make sure that you have a five minute clump that you can play them to close out the game. Um, yeah, cause it, it, you only play them more than that if the game for some reason gets out of hand um, against you. Maybe then you think about you know trying to get them in there to try to stem the tide and maybe get you back in a game. But if it's a close game, yeah, I, I am definitely keeping him around 20 minutes. I got something to say, Paul. Okay, I'm ready. Been biting my tongue during the podcast. <laughs> we talked about it a bit during our Sixers Talk TV show, which comes your way before the night games during the weekday uh, on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Paul and I get to pretty much just say whatever we want, just like we're here on the podcast, but on TV. <laughs> Embiid's health, to me, might be connected to his nutrition. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the tendonitis, and I'm, I'm seeing Embiid maybe, you know, 10 or 15 pounds outside of where maybe he should be. I see the health, uh, excuse me, I see the fatigue that he experienced in game one after not playing for a little bit. And I, these stories are out there about, you know, when he was a few years ago and he was drinking whole pitchers of Shirley Temple and he loves Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple's and, are gross, by the way. Can I just put that take out there? Oh, my kids, my kids eat them, drink them all the time, the virgin ones. So, yeah. uh, uh, to each his own, you know, um, grenadine and Sprite. No, Go for it. I'm out. Um, but uh, I'd love those Marshall cherries, though. Those things are just, <laughs> I could eat like five of those. But, um, you know, there's the they put all the food that he should eat in his refrigerator, and it was rotting because he was eating his own thing. We've seen him on the, you know, uh, table before games, getting stretched out, eating hamburgers or you know fast food sandwiches or what have you. Landry Shamit's story is out there that he would bring Joel and B four chicken sandwiches, four milkshakes, four French fries before before they took off, you know, for a road trip or what have you. Um. If he's indulging in those things, I think there's a correlation you can make between the knee issues, which, you know, number one, you sometimes there's, maybe there's too much weight that he's carrying unnecessarily that's putting pressure on that knee. Maybe the tendonitis is recurring and popping back up because he's not having the best, uh, you know, nutritional meals or what, or what have you, or not getting the right nutrients to support the knee as as a can help it bounce back or what have you. So I, I'm, I'm thinking about those things. I'm thinking some of this might be his own doing. Some of this might be Embiid needing to be a more mature about his diet and how he approaches what he eats. 
any validity to that, Paul? Are you are you are you are you putting any credence in the fact that Embiid might need to look in the mirror a bit and change some things if he's going to be a pro athlete who excels and staves off some of these injuries? I will put a tiny bit of credence behind that because that story was out there that he that I mean that's not great eating four Chick Fil A sandwiches eating four I mean I. I don't know about the you. Four milkshakes. I know. I I, I, I gonna say I can't. Four milkshakes. After eating a chicken, after eating four chicken sandwiches, cookies and, and fries, cream. Cookies and it? cream milkshake. Is that? I mean, first of all, it's kind of impressive. We'll, we'll put that out there. <laughs> um, but no, this is a not, large man, mind you. He is. No, he's clearly, clearly a large and man. and a young large man. Yes, he's he's got about he's got about what like seventy pounds on me. So I mean, I, I that's it's fair. Um, but man, it's not great when you see that. I I do agree. It's not a good look. It doesn't sound great. And then when you see the injuries, I look at it and I think there's something like to what your point is, like with the inflam, like you know tendonitis, inflammation, all that. It's probably not helping if he's still eating Chick Fil A sandwiches. It's probably not helping. There are certain foods you can eat that can help with that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, so I, I hear you from that standpoint, and you're right. And I don't know that if. Perhaps when this knee issue crept up, I don't know if maybe the medical staff got to him, maybe the, 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 the sports medicine staff got to him at all with that. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Um, if, it's the, if it's not the case that he's still eating this crap like now, that's, it's obviously not good. I would contribute it less to his knee and more just to his general fitness level. Because right. that's that's the big, like as much well, as – Well, even just, just weight, period. He's no, might, might be carrying you. too much yeah. weight. No, that's fair. I think it's I think it's fair. I think I think it's a fair thing to bring up. I don't want to, I don't want to like get too deep. From my perspective, I don't want to get too deep into it just because we I, don't know. We don't know we don't exactly know. what he's but, putting in his mouth. But, but you're I'm not right. Not saying that he has to adopt a, a plant based diet, but it might help. Right. He doesn't have to go full vegan job, but like right. just not eating four Chick Fil A sandwiches would probably go would probably go a long way well, in helping out. And, if, and since you brought up Ja, look at the dividends that. Him changing some of what he did has yeah. paid off for him because we saw the slim down. Man, did we see the slim down. And, you know, they say winning is in the preparation. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Ja was ready when Anthony Davis fell off or got injured and was ready to step in for the Pelicans and, and turn some heads, impress some people, and maybe – Elongated his career a bit because yeah, I mean he was ready people, to be overseas. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of people thought that. Yeah, he was he was he was not far from being overseas, and he's no. I think he's shown that he could be a viable. You know, I, I you know the comparison for me would be Greg Monroe. I mean, that's the kind of guy he could be, and mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. I mean, just be a backup center. I mean, it's just your ceiling's going to be you're never going to be great defensively, so you're always going to be a liability just because. You but know, you're looking he, at Embiid with that same me- mentality. What what could he be if he went to that extreme? Oh my gosh! Right. I'm talking about felt cutting through the paint, you know, quicker, uh, able to move his feet more, go go box to box and and, and help help side weak side defense. No, I don't know. I, I'm just speculating. Fair. I'm just it's, throwing it out there. I'm just I can't just leave that stone unturned. That possibly he might be some of this might be his own doing. It's fair to wonder if he does. I mean. So I will give him credit in this regard. I think that in the like, if this was two years ago, he would just be playing through this, and he wouldn't be thinking twice, and he mm-hmm. might be risking an injury by doing it. I think he's gotten smarter from the perspective of listening to his body, as far as that goes. 
I would hope that also what would come with that would be that he would realize, hey, I need to really take care of, you know, really need to be conscious of what I'm putting into my body. He has said that recently. I know Elton Brand also said that recently, that they have been paying attention to what he's putting in his body. So I don't know if, you know, if they're, you know, you got, I'm not going to 100% take it for the word because I don't know. But, you know, that that was more recently than the, the story about the Chick-fil-A stuff. So the hope is that he has been that he has been doing that and that that is a trend that continues going forward because you yeah this being taking care of his body and being nutritious and all that will prolong his career and it will get the best out of him that it could poss- that they could possibly get let's hope the sixers can prolong their postseason run based on what we saw in game 3 uh things are trending upward and that is for sure we will join you with the reaction podcast after Saturday's game, a three o'clock tip off. Make sure you join us on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Hey, subscribe to this pod, like, comment, rate us. Uh, really give us your input because we're uh, always looking for feedback and things we can improve on. But uh, level headed Paul will take it in a stride no matter what it is. Sure. We appreciate no, I'll you joining us. I'll probably yell at somebody. No, that's not your way. <laughs> Unless they mess with your hair, probably. Oh, no, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Paul Hudrick, the man, the myth, the legend. Danny Palmels, thanks for joining us here on Sixers Talk. Our producer, Steve Jung, always in the know, provides us with a lot of our topics and discussion. We appreciate his effort, as always. And uh, we'll just see you next time here on Sixers Talk. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.